Hi there and welcome back to Gravity, the Digital Marketing Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by creators, consultants and practitioners who share what makes their business work. Whether you run your own business or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, you're in the right place. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome along. Just take a second right now to subscribe to the show on your podcast player. That way you don't miss new weekly episodes and you can dig into some older ones when you finish this one. This week, my guest on the show is Mei Kang Sang. Mei Kang's stock in trade is FOMO, or the fear of missing out. She crafts FOMO for conferences and music festivals. It sounds like a weird job, and that's because it is. But as you'll find out, for her clients, it's a super valuable and in-demand niche service. So welcome along, and let's meet Mei Kang. So this week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Mei King Sang. Mei, do you maybe just want to start by telling us a bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Yeah, um, thanks, Bob. I uh, really appreciate the invite. Um, as you said, my name is Mei King Sang. My first name is Mei King, and I am the FOMO creator. <laughs> so maybe tell us a little bit what FOMO is, those who aren't used to the Urban Dictionary. Absolutely. So FOMO means fear of missing out. And what I do is at a workshop, a mastermind, a conference, a festival, a summit, I capture all of that excitement that's going on in the room out onto social media with the sole intention of people watching on social media get so excited about it that they want to know more or they get so excited that they book on the next event, the next conference, the next summit, the next music festival. And that's what I do. So I create that excitement by live tweeting. I create the excitement by interviewing people on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. And the people that I'm interviewing are, you know, musical artists at festivals or attendees of conferences, speakers um, at uh, summits or sponsors at conferences. And, um, and, you know, as I say, just catching that atmosphere, which means that when we put it on social media, people think, oh, what have I missed out on? Oh, I must sign up to the next event. I must sign up to the next conference. That's basically what a FOMO creator does. And that's what I do. So it's you that's costing me a fortune in ticket prices. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> and not only that, you're the person who I see coming towards me with the camera and a microphone and I turn around and walk the other way. Uh, no, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I, I tend to be quite, um, quite open and I can see when people really want to come and talk and, or, you know, or people who have started to run away, I don't chase after them like Benny Hill style. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, it's, you know, I just want to capture the atmosphere and that's it, you know, so there's no point talking to someone who looks like a bunny in headlights and really frightened to talk into the microphone, is there? So yeah. no, I wouldn't chase after you, Bob. Definitely not. Well, I was particularly keen to have you on the show because I've been at events where you're working and, uh, I really admire people who can do that kind of thing on camera live because a lot of the time, well, it is live. Um, how do you get yourself into the mindset where you're ready to do that? Or are you just always on? <laughs> no, um, that's a great question. I was actually um, 
talking to someone about this. Um, and as we were going through the conversation, I recognized that I've just been practicing all my life. I, <laughs> I always wanted to be a journalist until my parents said, no, get a proper job. <laughs> So in my dreams of wanting to become a journalist, I watched um, Parkey, I watched Terry Wogan, I watched uh, Melvin Bragg, uh, Mrs. Merton, I don't know if you remember Carolina Hearn, uh, the Mrs. Merton show, Jonathan Ross, Graham Norton, all the greats. And I watched them, but I, I mean, I obviously enjoyed the interviews, but I looked at the structure of how they were able to talk through the, um, the interviews and how they were able to draw those amazing stories out. And if there was anybody who was saying too much, how you shorten the interview, if people weren't saying enough, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you draw the stories out? And so I was just observing for a very long time and in watching all of that TV growing up <laughs> I was able to put it to good use and one of my um, in uh, people who I really admire and am I'm inspired by is Jo Wiley I love the way that she is so um, enamored with the uh, with the artist her knowledge of the music you know of Glastonbury is just phenomenal and I just want to I wanted to bottle it and in watching all of that all through my life, I think I realized that I, I've been bottling it in my head all along. And a couple of years ago, I decided I'm going to hit the button. I'm going to go live on Periscope and start doing these interviews. And of course, my first few videos are rubbish. Of course they are <laughs> because I'm falling over my words, bunny in headlights, don't know what to say, you know. Um, but eventually I got better and better, more practice. And, uh, and now I've got to the point where, you know, people, um, you know, even people who are a little bit nervous about coming on camera. And when I ask them, do they want more publicity for their business? They say, yeah, okay, making. And then I get them in front of the camera and then suddenly they forget the camera's there, which is my uh, special gift. So, um, so yeah, a lot of work experience, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, learning by watching others and then um, applying the theory and then just going out and doing it. That's how I've done it. And I like live because I think people connect with you more. You know, so if I fall over my words, if I trip up <laughs> on a pavement, if I, you know, um, if I giggle and laugh because someone is making me laugh so much, people really warm to that because it's real, it's raw, it's authentic. Um, there's nothing to hide, you know. If I've got a cold sore <laughs> on my face, if I've got a zit on my nose, if I forgot to put the lipstick on, if the lipstick is on my teeth, <laughs> it doesn't matter because they're not interested in that. They're interested in the story. They're interested in the people that I'm talking to. And that's what I'm trying to capture on camera. Yeah, I think for anybody listening, they need to understand making has great skin. Uh, you, you paint quite a, a negative picture of yourself visually, but there's nothing <laughs> for people to worry about. I think live video is hard for a lot of people. Um, and there's a reason people hire somebody like you to do it at an event because it is hard to do and it's really hard to do well. And it's particularly hard to do when you've got 500 people walking around watching you do it. That's the bit that I really admire the boat the most. And when you started doing it, obviously for money professionally, what, what was your first 
paid gig, I guess. That's, that's my question. Um, my first paid gig. Well, I've been live tweeting for many years professionally and been paid to do that. So live tweeting is where I am listening to a speaker and tweeting about what they're saying and I'm doing it at a rate of knots. So at a conference, you know, uh, there was one conference last year in Cambridge, uh, 2000 tweets went out in total and, uh, 1200 of them were mine. For, uh, for myself, for the, uh, the organizer and uh, for a client that I was representing. So um, yeah, so live tweeting, I've been doing that and getting paid for that professionally for years. The, um, the FOMO creating was uh, my first gig was actually in March this year uh, on International Women's Day. And it was uh, for the amazing Andrew and Pete at their right. first conference called Atomicon. So I actually uh, approached them. I said, oh, hey, um, any chance um, you need a live tweeter for your event? And they came back to me and I was absolutely stoked. I didn't realize they knew who I was for a start. And they said, we love your live tweeting, but can you also do Facebook and Instagram as well? So I said, yeah, sure. Inside, I was panicking. I was thinking, Instagram, what do I do? I have no idea. <laughs> so I did a bit of Googling and, um, and then I just went ahead and did it. And I think because I've tuned my mindset to not really care about what everyone thinks, that's helped me a lot. And as I said, because I've watched TV and watched the great interviewers, you know, uh, of all time uh, growing up and just watching them technically how they do things, how they draw people out, how they get those stories, how to, you know, get that ex excitement, how to ask the right questions. It kind of came to me instinctively. Um, and so you know, during, uh, I think it was the evening before, there was a pre-party for Atomicon. So for uh, the speakers and, um, and special guests, I think it was, uh, they were allowed to come to a party and just get to know each other, really. And uh, I did, um, I did, uh, I was very nervous. And then I, I had to admit, I think it, I was thinking, oh my God, I don't know how to do, it, do this. I don't know how to do it. And then one of my dear friends who is an amazing photographer, uh, Laura Perman, just, just said to me, do me first, just interview me. You know, it's just me and you. And that really got me over the hurdle. And I am forever grateful for Laura for really pushing me. And so I did that first interview. We had a bit of a laugh. Um, I don't know if you remember Scylla Black. Yes. Bob? Yep. So I, I sort of uh, channeled Scylla Black and I said, in the words of our Graham, uh, what is your name and what do you do? And uh, Laura laughed and then she told me what it is she did. And then I went along and this was on uh, Andrew and Pete's Instagram stories. I went to all the speakers and did exactly same thing we got loads of laughs loads of bloopers loads of great information um and that really really got me started after that so my nerves were out of the way the next day the conference was full everyone was having lunch the atmosphere was electric and i no longer had the nerves um i was no longer nervous i just went in started talking to people even when they were chewing on their sandwiches and crisps <laughs> And just asking them what was their biggest takeaway, who's their favorite speaker, and really capturing the moments on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And from my perspective, where I was standing, it looked like you'd been doing it forever. Oh, 
thank that's, you. That's, that's the interesting thing with our world is everything is new. Everything is new. It really so is. The only it difference really between you and the expert is that he's been doing it 10 minutes longer than you have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and I've just been watching all these programs all my life. I even had a hairbrush and would practice in my, uh, in my bedroom, uh, got caught by my brother and sister once. That was funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I've just, um, I've just watched a lot of, um, uh, experts and uh, practiced um, and did a lot of little videos myself um, on Periscope and did a few interviews um, with um, you know with small business owners in and around Sheffield just did a few not too many but at, actually at a conference that was in March 2019 that was the first time that I did it and I loved every moment and I think people loved it um, there were other event organizers who uh, saw what I did and then they approached me afterwards and asked me if I could do it for their uh, conference as well which is great and the rest is history and the rest is history yeah but I would like to look at history a little bit because you I mean obviously I, I some people call it research other people call it snooping I looked <laughs> around a little bit and you have a really interesting career before what you're doing now and a clear trajectory. This was always where you were going to end up, but not very many people have got Lotus notes on their LinkedIn. Oh my word. <laughs> but it's, it's, there's such a clear thread from training through social media to where you are now, but, you, but you've moved around a bit as well. So do you want to maybe sort of dig into a little bit about, cause you mentioned sort of you kind of, I'm going to say parachuted in two years ago, but you spent a couple of years or how long were you in Australia? Cause it was actually quite a long time, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It was uh, six years uh, that Ooh. was in Australia, but gosh, that is proper, proper research done there. Lotus notes. I didn't realize I still had that on my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it's amazing what people still leave on the LinkedIn profile. Yeah. That, that is funny. So yeah, I, uh, I graduated in uh, social science, which is politics and economics. And, um, I wanted to become a social worker, but on the third year of my uh, university degree, they said I would have to study for a further year to get a social media diploma. And I thought, I can't really afford to do that. Unfortunately, I've got student loans like everybody else. I really want to get into work so I can start paying them off. So, um, so anyway, I graduated. My father um, managed to get me a job in a Chinese restaurant uh, as the waitress, but every day, I would look in the Bolton Evening News, in the Manchester Evening News, the Blackburn local paper, just to see if there were any jobs going for graduates. So I was looking at it for quite a while. Uh, and then I eventually, um, I think I was there at the restaurant for a year. And then I um, managed to find a job at Asda where I was the checkout girl. And then I quickly promoted, uh, got promoted into um, catering manager but ironically because I started working for them I wasn't allowed on the graduate scheme which I was uh. really really quite sore about yeah really quite upset um, but every day every week I would look in Bolton Evening News, Manchester Evening News, Blackburn local paper um, and eventually I saw this tiny little ad and this little ad said have you got a degree and an interest in computers if so send us an email and that was it so with my free serve email address and i had lotus um lotus one two three i think it was and ami pro on my computer at the time 
I thought I'm going to apply for this job. And, um, and I applied and got it. And, um, yeah, in Manchester, I was teaching word, Excel, uh, Lotus notes, uh, it went on to uh, Visual Basic and uh, SQL as well, little bits and pieces of that. Nerdy. And that's where the training came in. So you were in Australia for seven years. You come back to the UK. Yeah. And you have to start from zero. What, what were your first actions? Or did you know what you wanted to do? Yeah. So um, following on from Australia where I, you know, ran my tea business and I was very creative uh, in, um, I was talking and delivering presentations and speaking and performing Chinese tea ceremony and, uh, and doing all sorts of wonderful things with, um, uh, with tea. When I came back, um, I knew that I wanted to start my own business again. And because I had a certain level of success in the tea world, I thought, well, I'll go with what I know. I'll carry on doing the tea thing, going into speaking, training, because uh, I actually delivered training courses about tea as well um, in Australia. So that's what I wanted to do. Now, because I had made a lot of mistakes in business <laughs> in Australia, I realized that there was a lot of things I didn't want to do, which was great. So I created Australia's first Facebook group for uh, businesses uh, in Queensland. Mm. Uh, called Queensland Business Group. And back then it had 9,000 members. Um, and they were incredible because they actually helped me to stay in the country for longer than I, um, than, um, I was originally given. So originally, as soon as my... The reason I went to Australia is because my husband to support his career. Then he didn't love me anymore and told immigration that we'd separated. So suddenly I was faced with an immigration battle and they were going to tell me to leave um, in 28 days. Now, because I created this Facebook group for businesses to help uh, small businesses, um, they were incredible and they managed to raise enough money. There was 3000 500 Aussie dollars, so that's 1,700 pounds in 24 hours because of the support that I gave to them through this Facebook group. So it was incredible, but I had a four-year battle with immigration because uh, they said that um, what I was doing with Queensland Business was nothing to do with tea, which is a complete lie. But anyway, eventually I lost, came back, and I realized that I'd spent a lot of time helping others in this Facebook group. I spent a lot of time helping others for free. Um, I reduced my um, prices because I really wanted the gig, you know, because I had rent to pay and all that kind of stuff. I realized when I came back to the UK, I can't do that again. I have to be more strategic. So I, I decided I'm not going to create a Facebook group, but... I will be the most helpful person in anyone who invites me to their Facebook group. I, um, I wouldn't go out for a cup of tea with absolutely everybody I met, but I would choose who I would meet and, um, and see if I can help them. I wouldn't write for every blog post going and guest blog for everyone. I would just write strategically. And so I wrote on LinkedIn. And I also wrote on my own blog and that was it. And so I wrote a blog called Making Mistakes. <laughs> so um, I wrote about the mistakes that I made, the things that I've done differently. Um, and within three months, I got picked up by Google. Um, they saw my work on LinkedIn and Twitter and they wanted me to head up a project in Sheffield where I would help 
hundreds of uh, business owners um, by giving them social media advice or by speaking about social media subjects or SEO or social media strategy and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so three months headhunted because I chose not to create a Facebook group. I chose to write for myself. I wrote strategically. I took part in Twitter chats, but not all of them, just one or two. And I also decided not to meet too many people um, I just decided to meet just a, a handful of people and that's what I did differently and that's what worked. Mm. So looking at your business now, your, 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 your thing is FOMO, the fear of missing out around events. What kind of events are you typically working in? What, what's the, the spectrum of events where you're comfortable? Well, last week I was actually in Amsterdam and uh, it was one of my biggest challenges because it was a workshop. There were 15 facilitators. Some of them are freelancers. Some of them work for big corporates and they facilitate training. And so the the founder of this workshop, uh, Miriam Hadness, she wanted facilitators to share their knowledge and experience in the confines of the four walls with no judgment, but the whole idea was just to support each other because as we know, being in business can often feel like the loneliest place on the planet. So my challenge, she wanted me to create FOMO for her because she wanted to run more of these workshops. This was kind of a test run. And she also wanted me to create FOMO on a platform that I know a little bit about, but not a lot about. Normally I do FOMO for Twitter because when you're running an event, a conference, a summit, Twitter tends to be the number one um, platform you tend to go to. So she wanted me to do this on Instagram. So I loved the challenge. It was amazing. So, so good. So the, the first challenge was doing it on a platform that I um starting to love but it's not my main platform the second challenge was how do you create excitement when you can't really talk about the subjects that are being discussed because they are personal so that was a real challenge that's a really interesting question and i loved it i loved the challenge and it was amazing now initially miriam she said to the group you know making might sit next to you she might listen in and she may share some of your knowledge but she won't attribute it to any particular person to protect that person's identity which i thought was great but for me i didn't want to uh, interrupt the flow when the conversations were happening so i actually didn't feel comfortable in sitting next to somebody just in case So I put that barrier up myself, but it was great. So what I observed instead or what I documented was how the people felt. So there were moments, there were lots of aha moments. There were lots of, oh, I totally agree. I completely understand how you feel. And because there were some people who were from the corporate world, some people who were freelancers, the dynamics were different, which was great. There were also, um, there was one table I remember table of five and there was one guy who made a suggestion why don't you two pair up why don't you two pair up discuss all your bits and pieces i will make notes but then we will share everything together at the end that was such a good approach so i documented that i i fomo created and talked about that particular style 
And then there was another table where there was just one person talking and then everyone else was chipping in. So I talked about that particular style as well. There was also a photographer there on the day and photographers often get neglected because they're doing their job. So I photographed him and I talked about him and, um, you know, and I Instagrammed him, you know, in, in these positions. Miriam, as the facilitator, she was timekeeping. So I just, you know, took a picture of her timekeeping or took a picture of her uh, speaking, um, but I took the volume down so that, it, you know, things couldn't be heard and that kind of stuff. And I also got managed to get on a flip chart uh, most of the people's names their instagram names so that i could tag them and then i explained to them that when you see an instagram post that's tagged please share your thoughts on it share it onto your own timeline add a comment to it and that will help to spread the fomo and spread the word about what miriam's doing now what was incredible was that i wrote one post um i think it was 7 a.m uh, in the morning and the masterclass was going to start at five. So I wrote it at 7 a.m. By 2 p.m., um, she had five people who followed her, five new people who followed her on Instagram. She had a 15% increase of followers on Twitter because I copied and pasted that Instagram post into seven tweets. Hmm. So she got a 15% increase in the number of followers on Twitter. I also copied and pasted that Instagram post onto LinkedIn. And I had to um, edit a few of the words because LinkedIn only allows you 1,200 characters. And it had a reach of 1,700 people in about four hours. So it worked. The FOMO absolutely worked and um and as a result you know miriam was so happy she's hired me for october which is incredible so that was one of the ways in which i created fomo which is just in a masterclass, a workshop that has 15 people but what i'm no normally known for are the big conferences and the music festivals so i did a music festival a couple of weeks ago uh, there was a reach of, I think there were 2,000 people who attended the event um, and the reach was uh, 20 million on Twitter um, mm -hmm. with Atomicon. Um, you know, Atomicon um, is a really engaged audience. 350 people attended the event. So, of course, they know how to tweet. Of course, they know how to Instagram and all the rest of it. Um, but with my account and, um, and Andrew and Pete's account that I was managing, and Dan Knowlton, I think it was, was the number third uh, tweeter. We had about 30, sorry, yeah, we reached 30, 30 million people. So half, nearly half the UK population on the same day as International Women's Day. So that's how much publicity I can get for a conference. But the main thing is that we managed to sell 450 tickets for the conference for next year. And one of them to me. Sorry? And one of them to me. Oh, amazing. So I'll see you there uh, next year as well. So yeah, so that's what I can achieve for people. So I can do it for workshops. I can do it for music festivals. I can do it for large conferences like Andrew and Pete's. And um, Andrew and Pete's is, uh, is 350. I want to go to the next one, whichever is the next biggest one, you know, a 5,000 maybe, social media marketing world maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> there was one thing that really caught in my mind there, which was the sensitivity needed for that event that you were at in Amsterdam. It was yes. Amsterdam, wasn't it? Yes. And 
a lot of the time, if you see somebody that's been hired to live post about an event, regardless of which platform it is, it's often the most junior person in the company, a 20 something. Yes. What you bring to that is a sensitivity, maturity, and a confidence to engage with people appropriately that no disrespect to very young people, but they haven't the life experience that allows them to relate to people that are often commercially or professionally very senior, um, or they might be starstruck. Um, some people find it very difficult. If they've been watching Andrew and Pete on YouTube, suddenly they're in front of you. How do you speak to these people? It's really yeah. quite difficult. Yeah, and, and thank you for um, making that observation. I, th I think you're absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, some of the objections that I receive when I asked, would you like a professional live tweeter or are you interested in a FOMO creator? A lot of, um, some conferences have turned around to me and said, uh, no, thanks. Um, we've got our own team. We've got our own social media team. And quite often the social media team are quite uh, young, inexperienced, and they're too busy running around trying to ensure the conference is okay, you know, that there are no Wi-Fi issues, that the sound is fine, the speakers are happy, lunch has been ordered, it's coming at an appropriate time, we've got the lanyards in place or, or whatever. And whenever anything like that doesn't come into being, then the social media is fallen by the wayside. And in fact, I did approach a conference um, last year. Would you like a professional live Twitter? No, it's all right, thanks. We've got, um, we've got our team. I live tweet because I, that's the way I take notes anyway. And I managed to live tweet five times more than the next person down. So, uh, I mean, I didn't say, no, 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 I told you so. Um, but, um, and it wasn't in their, um, you know, it wasn't their focus to trend. That's not mm. what they wanted anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there are objections about what I do because they think, oh, well, my social media team can do it, but they can't do it at the speed that I can do it. They can't do it with the, like you say, the sensitivity, because when you are interviewing someone, you need to be able to judge very quickly whether you can get a really good interview out of them, whether it's going to be long, whether it's going to be short, whether they are um, good enough to interview. And if they're not, you need to be able to, you know, uh, cut the interview, but respectfully um, and that kind of stuff. And in Amsterdam, there were a lot of um, facilitators who were very nervous. They really wanted to promote their own business, but they really didn't know what to say. And, and so, you know, we tested it. And, uh, and by the end of the evening, people were queuing up to be interviewed by me because they realized that I was able to deal with the, you know, the sensitivity of the, the workshop. And what I did was just ask them how they felt, you know, to be part of the first inaugural uh, facilitators workshop. Do you have any advice for any facilitators, um, you know, about the, the workshop? What were your biggest takeaways? What were your biggest learnings? What did, what words of wisdom were you able to pass on to others? And lots of other questions like that. And yeah, you're right. I think that, you know, a lot of the interviews that I do are driven by the feelings, the thoughts, what's going on in, in my head, what I think is going on in their head. And a younger person um, would not be able to capture that because they don't have the experience yet, but they will do one day. Hmm. I think certainly from the consumer's perspective or the audience's perspective, I've been at events where you've been working and you can see how it builds excitement in the event. I've also been at events where you've been working 
and I haven't been there. And the fear of missing out is strong. Uh, <laughs> and people shouldn't underestimate that's probably when the event is on, that's your most active marketing point. That's, that's where your content is fresh. Uh, so having somebody like there just allows you to really amplify all of that when it, when it's timely. Yeah. And again, a great observation. Thank you for saying that, Bob, because uh, you're absolutely right. And again, another objection that some conference organizers have is, oh, you know, we'll worry about the conference next year. You know, we'll worry about the marketing about that, of that conference next year. But like you say, the excitement of today's conference, now the excitement, you want to capture that mood, that, and you know, that positivity. And when you capture that on camera, you can use that as marketing and drip feed that as marketing in the next few months and, you know, in uh, ready for, uh, for next year. And a lot of people don't realize that. So although I'm doing lots of stuff live and people think, oh, well, it's live, it's, it's there, it's gone. You can still capture, you can still record it. You know, Instagram stories are archived, so you can always drag them down. There are tools that you can drag down, you know, download um, your uh, YouTube videos or your Periscope uh, videos and so on. So you can always make clippets. You know, there's, there's absolutely no excuse uh, for not uh, having the you know, capturing the atmosphere right now and using that as marketing for, for next year and saying that I'm going to market it next year. I'll worry about that next year because I've got too much to focus on this year. Well, that's why you hire FOMO creator so that you don't need to worry about that. I will handle all of that for you. I think where I'd like to go next is Twitter because you are <laughs> very well known as a Twitter native. Twitter's your thing. Yes. And I struggle with Twitter. I have a love-hate relationship. Uh, I have a decent-sized following. And I think a lot of people probably feel the same about Twitter, that because the timeline moves so fast, yeah. it's difficult to really make an impact. And a lot of us automatically think of Twitter as a place where you want to try and make an impact. Yes. And so there are two strategies. One is controversy and bullshit posting. And the other is... <laughs> automated sort of sh scheduling of evergreen content to be constantly visible and neither of them are neither of them feel particularly authentic and genuine and i'm really curious to know how your feeling is for how people should relate to twitter because i'm i'm really not sure <laughs> it's um so it's two things that there are two things that Twitter is known for. Twitter will always be the number one place that journalists go to to look for people to uh, share a story, you know, to grab a story from. That's where the trending hashtags come into being. So when I go into Twitter, I always check to see what's happening at the moment, what's happening around the world at this moment in time. And if I can participate in the conversation, then I will do. Okay. Some of them are contentious. Some of them are political. Um, I am a staunch feminist. Um, and sometimes if I see something that, you know, resonates with me, then I will, I will share it. I will retweet. And if I feel really strongly about it, then I'll, I will add my two pennies worth to it because that forms part of my personality. And, you know, going back to um, something we were talking about offline, Bob, about how a lot of small businesses, their temptation when they first go into business is to promote, sell themselves, show the, uh, shift the business cards into people thinking that they are providing you know, a service. They, you know, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. And the thing is, 
people won't buy from you if they don't know who you are they're not going to buy from you and so you know that was the, one of the things that i did when i came back from the uh, from australia uh, came back to the uk i spent the first two months trying to get to know people trying to build my brands trying to show that i know what i'm talking about when it comes to tea when it comes to social media and so i did that by sharing articles so with the automation of the articles that's a great idea you should definitely do that because you know we need to sleep and if you want to capture the Australian audience or the American audience or China or wherever, then uh, not necessarily China because China won't be on Twitter. <laughs> They'd be on WeChat, wouldn't they? Or Weibo. Um, but who, who's ever attention you want to capture in their time zone, you have to, you have to schedule your, your, um, your articles. You definitely need to do that. So, um, and you never know when journalists are looking for an expert in something, then when they do their homework, they will look at your tweets. And if you are tweeting great information on a regular basis, then that's great. Then they're more likely to contact you. Okay. So Twitter is definitely the place to go to, um, to look for opportunities for PR for your own business. And you do that either by participating in the trending hashtags, or you look at the hashtag journal request or H A R O help a reporter out or PR request have a read of them on a regular basis, see if there are any PR opportunities. And if there are, go and contact the journalist in the way that they have specified. So if they said, send me an email, send them an email, okay? So that's one way that Twitter will always be renowned for. It'll never get taken over by anyone else. That's where you get, you know, that's how I managed to appear on TV, on radio, um, on a broadcast uh, featuring the Dairy Board, uh, sponsored by Mecca Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> All of these requests came through Twitter for me. And so you'll be able to position yourself as an expert very quickly when you search on those. The second thing is we talked about automation. In order to get people to know, like, and trust you, you have to build your brand. And in building your brand, you have to prove that you are an expert in your field. So you have to share great content, as I've said. So absolutely, scheduling your, um, your blog posts, you should definitely do that. Now I get a little bit of help with this. Um, so I met these guys in San Diego at Social Media Marketing World, and they are incredible. So um, they have a, an artificial intelligence platform that actually reads your blog post. And when it reads your blog post, it will read it in seconds and generate social media posts for you in seconds. Now, I use it for Twitter, but you can use it uh, to generate posts on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and you can schedule them when you want it to run. So I wrote on my own blog, Making Mistakes, but I also wrote on LinkedIn as well. And there was a great LinkedIn article. Uh, it's great because I wrote it. <laughs> and... I want more people to see it though. You know, I had a few shares, a few comments, but I want me more people to see it because I wrote it last year. So I put it through this, um, this AI platform, 1700 words. Um, it generated 47 tweets. And then I was able to schedule those tweets. Um, and I was just testing it just to see if it works. And I scheduled the 47 tweets to run twice a day for two weeks. And it resulted in more LinkedIn connections, more people wanting to connect with me, more people sharing the article, more people commenting both on Twitter and LinkedIn. So to prove that you are an authority in your field, that's where Twitter is all about. 
Now, the third thing is my favorite, which is the live tweeting. You can also gain more publicity for yourself by live tweeting an event. Now, I saw this done by an amazing sponsor. Um, they are called uh, Feed Alpha. And I saw them sponsoring an event. I was actually at the event as well in London, social day in London uh, by the fabulous Lucy Hall. And I was tweeting, just doing my normal tweeting thing. And then Feed Alpha started talking to me. They were tweeting with me. Now, they didn't say, oh, by the way, I'm a sponsor. This is what we do. They were just having a, uh, having a laugh. Well, they're Irish, so they were having a crack. And we were just chinwagging. Now, the most incredible thing about that is that because I start to like them and I really enjoy the conversation, I'm obviously going to look at what they do click on their profile and if I'm interested then I'll go over to their stall and say oh hey I'm May King from Making Tea I was tweeting with you earlier how are you and that's where the conversation starts so everybody everybody can listen to a speaker at an event everybody can tweet everybody can use the hashtag if you if you do it regularly enough people will you see uh, people will see your tweets if they like you, they will click on your profile. If they like you even further, they'll say, oh, hey, can we have a cup of tea? I'd really like to know more about your business. Now, if you can't tweet as prolifically as I can, then you need to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I do. So I'm available for hire to go to conferences and tweet on behalf of attendees, sponsors, speakers, and the conference itself. And I've done that in the past. Well, I have to say, anyone listening that is an event organizer, do it. Um, I want to ask you about this AI platform you mentioned. I, I didn't catch the name. I don't think you named it, and I'm going to... No, I didn't. No, um, I wasn't sure whether I was allowed to say, and then I thought, you know, maybe I should. So their Twitter name is Try Lately, uh, and the name of the company is called Lately. And as I say, it's really helped. Um, I don't have, I only have two social media clients. I choose to keep it that way. And what I do for them is whenever they have a blog post written, I'll push it through this AI platform. It will generate, you know, between 20 and 30 tweets, depending on the length of their blog post. And then I'll schedule them to run. And then for one client, I will monitor the comments so that if anyone's engaging with them on Twitter, then I'll engage back with them. If they ask any questions that I'm not sure about, then I'll go back to my client and answer them. For the other client, um, exactly the same. I, they've got a whole wealth of resources on their website um, really informative downloads and what I do put it through the AI platform it generates you know 20 between 20 and 50 tweets depending on the length of the PDF and I will schedule them to run and for this particular client because it's a very specialized area um, he's the business numbers rock star um, I will then uh, he will then respond to any um, replies on the on the tweets but I actually manage which resources I push through the AI platform and it's called try lately that they're on Twitter as try lately I'll have a look at that and as I currently have no sponsors for the podcast you can mention any tools you want and if anybody oh! does want to sponsor the show thank you <laughs> Uh, amazing amazing well i'll certainly let them know um or you can let them know try lately mention that you've uh, they've been mentioned and also feed alpha as well 
Um, okay. They are great guys. I wouldn't talk about them if I didn't believe in their products. I'll, I'll go and have a look. Great. One thing I'm curious to know from you, since I've got you, but it's about Twitter. Um, how do you get the balance right between the the kind of stuff you've just described, which is effectively content promotion, content recycling, and the chit chat and relationship side of things? Well, it's like anything, isn't it? There are peaks and troughs, aren't there? So, you know, sometimes when I go to a conference, I will warn my followers. I'll say, hey, just letting you know that I will be tweeting about artificial intelligence or whatever the subject is. Um, and because I'm tweeting on behalf of my clients, I will, they may not see many of my tweets because my all of my tweets primarily will be, be will become, will come originally from my clients they may get the odd making tea tweet if I retweet or if I've been blocked by Twitter because they think I'm a robot That's <laughs> happened to me quite a few times because I tweet so much. So, um, so yeah, so I will warn my followers that I will be tweeting a lot and you know, no one is watching my profile 24 hours a day wondering what I'm going to tweet about next. And so if they notice that a few tweets I'm tweeting about AI or tweeting about facilitator workshops or uh, Twitter or whatever I'm tweeting about, um, and they're not interested, then they'll just switch off. You know, they can mute me and that's absolutely fine. With the automation, um, I try to vary that a little. It depends on the resources. So for one of my clients, because um, he uh, hasn't written that many uh, blog posts as yet, because he used to work for someone and you know it, it's their IP, so now he's creating his own. Um, so I am um, trying to promote his words more aggressively than the other client, the business numbers rock star, who is, has got a whole wealth of resources and he is, um, you know, and so I don't need to schedule as many tweets out for him, uh, because they all come from different, uh, different sources. So, um, but it's generally peaks and troughs really. May you have been great fun to talk to. Uh, I'm, an aware, I'm aware of the time we've probably gone on a little longer than we should have. Um, <laughs> If people are putting on an event, what's one tip you can maybe offer them uh, that will help them? Because obviously everybody can't have me king. They can't. Why not? <laughs> so if you have to do it yourself, what's the one tip that you'd offer? The one tip I would offer is make sure that everybody knows what the hashtag is at the start of the event and keep reminding people what the hashtag is. And if you really want to incentivize people to use the hashtag, say that, you know, we're going to give a prize to the best tweet that goes out and then people will work really hard to create that amazing tweet. It happened at Upreneur. Um, it also happened at Atomicon as well. Um, so, you know, having a competition, people love to win competitions, right? So if you make sure that you get the right hashtag and educate people to make sure it's, a, um, it's written in uppercase, title case, lowercase, 2019, 1-9, you know, whatever format it is, uh, and remind people on a regular basis. It just makes it easier for people uh, afterwards when they're searching for, you know, they, they've seen a few tweets and they want to know more. So they can search on the hashtag and it'll come up with all the tweets or all the Instagram posts or all the Facebook posts uh, related to that um, hashtag. So make sure you remind people of the hashtag and the right format that it's written. Um, that should be your number one priority. If you can't hire me, 
But if you can't hire me, there's uh, plenty of people that you can hire. And I've got a collection of people that uh, I could definitely put you in touch with uh, if uh, you don't have the budget for myself. And if people do want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? You can tweet me on Making Tea. <laughs> Making Sang, you've been a fantastic guest. I'm so glad you came. I hope my audience is going to hear more from you in the future. But for now, thank you very much. You are very welcome. And thank you so much for inviting me, Bob. Events are really expensive to put on. And having someone like Mei Kang help you amplify the impact you're having on social media and ideally sell out the next event before you even finish the one you're on can be game-changing. Mei Kang has created a spectacular niche for herself and her reputation is soaring. Her role suits her personal style. Does yours? Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe. And if you haven't already, then join our Facebook group. You can find a link from the website at bobgentle.com or just search Gravity Digital Marketing on Facebook and you'll find us easily. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and it's the very best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to May King for giving us her time this week and to you for listening. And see you next time. <laughs>